First uh, Bible reading comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. Exodus 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into, the, into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day that they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. The second reading is Matthew 15, yep, 29 to 16, 12. Page 1024, if you've got a red Bible out of the entry. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the cripple, the mute and many others, and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, and the lame walking and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground and then he took the seven loaves and the fish and when he had given thanks he broke them and gave them to the disciples and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning today it will be storming for the, stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When he went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, It's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for 5,000 and how many basketfuls were gathered? 
Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I'm not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. If only, if only God would give me a sign, if only God would show himself to me, then yes, I'd believe. Has anyone ever said that to you? Have you ever thought something like that yourself? Is it okay to think like that, to expect and want a sign from God? Does God even give signs? And is it possible for there to be signs, but for some people to refuse to see them or to fail to see them? I want you to see tonight that God has given plenty of signs. It is perfectly obvious who we're to believe in. And what we must not do is to refuse to believe. And we need to be careful not to fail to see. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that as we look at your word, you would open our eyes by giving us believing hearts that we would see the signs that you have given. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Matthew 15, we saw a couple of weeks ago before Easter that Jesus was very unexpected. He went unexpectedly to a very Gentile area, to Tyre and to Sidon, way out of Israel, and met this woman, a Canaanite woman who had a demon-possessed daughter, a very unclean woman, and Jesus was unexpectedly standoffish. He ignored her at first. He talked about sheep and dogs in a seemingly cruel way. And he seemed to hold off from healing her daughter in order to show her great faith and give her mercy. Thankfully now, as we come uh, still in Matthew 15, page 1025, Jesus comes back and he is the Jesus we've come to know and love. Here is Jesus back in Galilee. He sits down on a mountainside and he heals people. Have a look at verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Here is Jesus, healing and later on feeding we're used to this stuff, but we need to be careful not to gloss over it because Matthew has got some things he wants us to see. Do you see there that all sorts of people got healed? There were these sorts of six people and many others. I presume there were people possessed by demons, there were people there who had fevers, there were people there with bad backs, and all of them got healed. But Matthew wants us to see four sorts of 
people. Did you notice it? The lame, the blind, the crippled and the mute. He points those four out particularly and then he repeats it again. Verse 31, the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing. What is it that Matthew wants us to see here? Well, Graham reminded us tonight that in God's word, in Isaiah chapter 35, God promised that his promised king would come. He would get rid of the effects of sin and bring in his kingdom. And in particular, the mute would speak, the crippled would be made well, the lame would walk, and the blind would see. What is it that Matthew wants us to see? What is the sign here? Jesus is God's promised king, bringing in God's kingdom. But there's more than that here. Matthew wants us to see more than just God's promised king bringing in God's kingdom. The woman of Tyre and Sidon was an unclean Gentile woman. That was really clear. Jesus has come back now to Galilee. You'd expect these people to be Jewish. But some parts of Galilee were full of Gentiles. And that's who he meets here. How do you tell? Have a look at verse 31. The people were amazed when they saw this happening and they praised God. No, it doesn't say that. And they praised the God of Israel. It's an unusual phrase in the New Testament. That's not what it normally says. And if you are an Israelite, you don't praise the God of Israel. You know there's only one God. Why say the God of Israel? The only people who praise the God of Israel are people who are not Israelites. He's not our God. We don't call him Yahweh. He is the God of Israel. And Matthew wants us to see here that Jesus is God's promised king, bringing the blessings of God's kingdom, and they are overflowing to the Gentiles. But more than that even, we saw that with the woman a couple of weeks ago, an unclean Gentile woman, and the blessings overflowed. She got the crumbs from the table, and her daughter was healed. One person. And what is it that Matthew wants us to see here? God's promised king, blessings of the kingdom, overflowing to the Gentiles, and how much? Great crowds came to him. The crippled, the blind, the lame, the mute, and many others. And he feeds them as well. And how many people were there? 4,000 men. We're talking 10,000 people. What does Matthew want us to see? What is this a sign of? Jesus is God's promised king, bringing God's kingdom, blessings overflowing to the Gentiles, and they are simply abundant. Do you see that? Do you understand what you see? Do you believe it? Jesus is not simply some healer from Galilee, some teacher like you hear on those documentaries. He is God's promised 
king. It's clear as day. And he hasn't just come to bless the Jews, some tiny, insignificant nation in the Middle East. He's the king of all nations. And the blessings are for all people. People even like Anglos, like most of us. Who would have thought way back then? And not just Anglos, not people just like you, not like the people in your school group at school, not like the people of the office that you are most like, not like the people who are in your street. Yes, those people, but you see what I'm saying, don't you? It's all people, the people that we would least expect. And wouldn't it be wonderful if one day our area changed so significantly that there were people of all nations being blessed by Jesus and gathering here. Do you think that would be a good thing? I hope you do, for that's what Jesus is showing us here. Blessings for all nations. And do you remember the last bit was abundant blessings, 10 thousand people being blessed here in these three days you know sometimes i think that we think that the blessings of god's kingdom that the blessings that jesus can bring to people's lives are very precious they are very limited and god has to be very particular and careful about where he drops them they're like the blessings in a medicine bottle and it's in an eyedropper and you have to just drop a little bit here and a little bit here, and a little bit here, and God would like to help more people, but really that's all he can do, I'm afraid. Do we think like that? I think we do. But Jesus shows us here that he is nothing like that. Jesus is not using an eyedropper on that mountainside, is he? He has pulled out his fire hose and he is spraying it around because God's blessings are abundant for the nations. Do you believe that? If we believe this, I think, then we will love people who are totally different to us. We would love them to know about Jesus and we'll be passionate about people different to us coming to know him, nearby to us and far away from us in the nations. It would show in your prayers, wouldn't you? Do you have a mission partner, one of our mission partners in our church, the Forests, the Goscombs, the Hawleys? Do you have one of those that you pray for, pray regularly and pray passionately for? If not, pick up one of their prayer cards in the foyer and start doing that if you believe that Jesus is God's King for all nations and the blessings are abundant. You'll pray big for those blessings. It'll show in your prayers. And it'll show in our hope, won't it? Imagine being at this place where this happened, on that mountainside. I don't mean being there now. I take it it's a remote place, it's wilderness, it's ugly, but with a nice water view. No point going there. But what if you'd been there then for that three-day mountainside experience? where the lame are brought, the crippled are brought, and they go away walking, where the blind come and they go away seeing, the mute come and they go away talking to each other. How good would that be? Do you like the sound of that? 
Would you leave after the first day and go, that was pretty dud, I think I'll go down the road? Of course not. What a shame we missed it. It's a once in a history type event, isn't it? No chance of it happening in our lifetime. We haven't missed it, have we? This is a taste of the kingdom. And one day when Jesus returns, when there's a world ruled by Jesus, he will get rid of sin and the effects of sin. There will be no more disability, no more sickness, no more cancer and no more hunger. Do you see this? Do you believe this? You must be filled with joy. I must be filled with joy about this. Can you see here? Jesus makes it really clear and Matthew wants us to see it, that Jesus is God's promised king. He's God's promised king for all people and he brings abundant blessings for all. But the Jewish leaders simply refuse to see it, don't they? The last time Jesus was talking to the Jewish leaders, he called them hypocrites. He said they worship God in vain, that they are blind guides, and for some reason they seem to have taken it personally. Uh, This is the first time he's back in town. Having been away for a while, he crosses back over the lake and they meet him, chapter 16, verse 1. And they have a request. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. I think this is the one of the most bizarre moments in the Gospels. Think about it for a moment. Jesus has just healed thousands of sick people. He's just fed thousands of people like manna from heaven. And they ask him for a sign from heaven. I mean, even if they haven't heard this yet, the news hasn't travelled that fast, he's done this sort of thing before. He is constantly doing signs. He fed 5,000 before this. In chapter 13, this same group admits that he drives out demons. And yet here they ask For a sign. Think about it for a moment. It's like at the end of the Commonwealth Games, there is the Australian swim team, and you say to them, look, we'd really like you to show us that you can win a race. What would they say? We've done it already. That's exactly what Jesus says, I think. Why are they saying this? Verse 1. They came to Jesus and tested They don't really want to see a sign, do they? They want to see if he can do it. Put him on the spot in front of everyone. Worse than that, they know that he won't do it. For they've asked him this before, back in chapter 12, give us a sign, and he flatly refused. And they're sure, I think, that he'll flatly refuse again, and he'll look bad, and they will look good. Well, does Jesus fall for it? How does he respond? Surprisingly, he talks about the weather. Verse 2. When evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. 
and in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You might have heard it, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. Somehow, in a way that I don't understand, a red sky tells you what the weather is going to be like depending on the time of day. What a bizarre thing to talk about. But Jesus' point is very clear, actually, verse 3. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. The signs of the times has become a bit of a phrase, but in Jesus' day, he made it up, I think. The signs, he is saying, that I heal the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute, that I feed the crowds. I'm showing you, I'm giving you signs of who I am and that these are the times of the king. These are the signs of the times. You see them, but you can't interpret them. And Jesus is saying here by his weather analogy that you should be able to interpret them. Do you see the point of the logic here? The sky is not hard to interpret. What you've been told that red tells you stormy, it's not hard to do. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. Ah, what colour is it? Red. What time of day is it? Morning. There's a warning. You're not going to get a job with the Bureau of Meteorology by passing that test, are you? This is basic interpretation of the sky. Sky interpretation for dummies. And Jesus says the signs of the time are just as easy. You see the signs, you know what God promised, and you know who it is. This is sign interpretation for dummies. Why can you interpret the sky and you can't interpret the signs of the times? Are they dummies? No. God tell, Jesus tells them, verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign. Why is it that they can't interpret the signs? Why can't they see? Because they don't want to see. They refuse to see. They see what Jesus does, but they refuse to work out what it means. And there is no one as blind as someone who refuses to see. Do you believe that? Many people today ask for a sign, don't they? If only God would give me a sign, I'd believe in Jesus. Sometimes we wish we could see a sign. Do you see here the logic? It's not wrong to want a sign. Jesus is not saying here, I refuse to give you a sign because faith doesn't need a sign. Faith has to believe on no evidence. That's not what he's saying. You need signs so you know who to believe in, obviously. But you've been given the signs. More than enough signs, says Jesus. Any dummy can work it out from the signs I have given. You can't see because you refuse to see, Jesus is saying. You don't want to see because if you did see who I am, Jesus is saying, you would have to change. 
church. I think that's the point of the final sign that he's going to give in verse 4. It is rather cryptic, isn't it? Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah, I think, don't you? Told to go to Nineveh to tell the Gentiles they're going to be destroyed. Doesn't want to go to Nineveh because they might repent. Runs away, gets on a boat. God sends a storm. He gets thrown overboard. God sends a fish, swallowed by the fish, vomited onto the beach. Preaches to the Ninevites and they repent. Quick summary. So what's the sign? The sign of Jonah. Well, you wouldn't have a clue, would you? except that Jesus has already told this group back in Matthew 12. He said the same thing. No sign's going to be given you except for the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days in the fish, rose again and then warned you of judgment, so I'm going to be three days in the heart of the earth. I'll rise again and warn you of judgment. The sign of Jonah is three days up and call to repent. That's what I will do, says Jesus. And that's exactly what we saw last week, wasn't it, at the unexpected Easter. Jesus must be killed, he must be raised, he must come into his kingdom, and he must come again as judge. The resurrection means that Jesus will judge. And what must you do now? Repent just like the people of Nineveh did. They repented. Why won't you, says Jesus? So how do you respond if someone says to you, if only God would show me a sign, I'd believe? Well, I think, depending on the relationship with the person, you could say something like, good idea. You wouldn't believe without a sign, would you? They're nodding their heads. And God has given you an awful lot of signs and it's about time you believed in them. Check them out in Matthew's Gospel. I find them very convincing. They say, no, 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 no. I don't want to read a sign. I want to see a sign. Then I think I'd say, God has given you plenty of signs. And you know, some people came to Jesus and said they wanted more signs. And he said, they needed to change their hearts and believe the signs that God had given already. In fact, he warned them that if they did not, they would be in trouble. Not fair, they might say. God should show himself to me. What do you reckon? There's seven billion people on the planet. God's supposed to show himself to every single individual. Do you think you are the centre of the universe? It might depend on the relationship you have with the person, but I reckon I'd go somewhere near there. Show them this passage where Jesus makes it very clear. The signs are clear. Enough to believe. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are not the only people actually in this passage who get it wrong, are they? They refuse to believe. 
But Jesus' disciples, they believe, they see, but not very well. Did you notice that in the passage? Jesus has fed a whole lot of people in a wilderness place before, hasn't he? Do you remember that? He fed 5,000 men before. And that time, the disciples tried to say, send away the people, we can't feed them, and Jesus fed them. This time around, they're there in the desert, and Jesus raises the issue with them. Do you see it there? 15, verse 32. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. What's Jesus doing? He's fishing, isn't he? Fishing for them to show their faith. What do they say? Verse 33. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Uh, from Jesus. Have they forgotten already? They're not demanding a sign, are they? They're not refusing to see, but they don't see much. It's even more obvious uh, when they're in the boat And Jesus says to them, 16 verse 5, Be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's a metaphor, isn't it? Against the teaching, against the attitude of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He calls it yeast. And so they say, having forgotten to bring bread, it's because we didn't bring any bread. I mean, do you get that? It doesn't even make sense, does it? They've got so little clue. And Jesus makes it very clear what they've forgotten. You have little faith, verse 8. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you've gathered? It's not that they're blind, they're refusing to see. It's not that they have no faith. It's that their faith is very little, isn't it? Don't you remember? Don't you not understand? Do you see here, it's not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees who get it wrong by refusing to believe. Even Jesus' disciples, people like us, can fail to see. Why is it that they fail to see? Should they have gone to spec savers? Was that the trouble? No. Do you notice the words here? Do you not remember? Have you not understood? That's the key here, isn't it? For you and I probably know quite a number of gospel stories, don't we? healing people on a mountainside, feeding thousands of people miraculously. We know the stories, we see the signs, and we know what they point to, that Jesus is God's promised king for the whole world. But we doubt. Perhaps he's just a leader, a teacher, a healer. We see the signs and know what they point to, that he is the God's king who brings blessings for the whole world. But we doubt it, don't we? Perhaps he's just for some sorts of people. Perhaps he can only save some sorts of people. We see the signs and know what they point to, that he is God's king, 
blessings for everyone, and the blessings are abundant. But we doubt, don't we, whether there's enough for everyone, whether he'll care for us even. We struggle in life. We face a medical test and wonder how it'll turn out. And we wonder whether Jesus' blessings are sufficient and generous enough for us. And we see the signs of the kingdom, a taste of what's to come, an end to sickness and suffering, but we doubt, don't we? Could Jesus really bring an end to all suffering? Will he really do it? What's wrong with us? I think Jesus says to us, you of little faith. Don't you remember? Have you not understood? What do we need to do in order to see clearly? We need to see these signs, don't we? Again and again. We need to read through the Gospels, remember the stories, see how extraordinary they are and who they point to so that we have confidence in him. We need other people to remind us when we're struggling in life. We need them to say, don't you remember that story where Jesus healed those people, where he fed the people and there was abundant bread left over? We need to help each other to see, to remember, to understand. And it's really important Because if we fail to see like the disciples, if we go on failing to see and don't remember and understand, you could end up like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you see? That's what Jesus says in verse 6. Be on your guard against the attitude of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for the signs that Jesus showed about who he is. Father, we thank you that we're not left groping around or not being sure of who Jesus is, that he makes it abundantly clear that the signs he did show that he's your promised king come for all nations and his blessings are abundant. Father, help us to see that and to rejoice. Father, we do pray for people that we know who refuse to see that Jesus is your promised king and who demand a sign as if you haven't given any. Father, help us to know what to say. Help us to point people to the signs that have been given and be able to challenge people about their refusal to believe. And Father, we pray that we wouldn't be like the disciples in this part of the story who had seen so much and seemed to have forgotten and not understood and so doubted. Father, help us to see, help us to remember, help us to understand. And we pray that you'd help us to help each other to see as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.